Amen. You may have a seat, and our kids can head up to be with our team in Redemption Kids. So thankful that God has brought each and every one of you to the worship gathering of Redemption Hill Church. My name is Tanner Turley. I serve as our lead pastor. And if you're new with us, let me be one of the first, not probably the first, certainly, but one of the first to welcome you. We're thankful that you're here. If you're first time, second, third time, so thankful that God led you to come and experience who he is with us. And so thank you for joining us. We would love for you, by the way, uh, whether they're at the bottom of your worship guide or you can even uh, go online, rhc.church slash cc. And uh, fill out a connect card. It's just our way of getting to know you and uh, welcoming you even further uh, for coming to visit with us. Well, uh, this morning we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6. So if you want to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to cover the whole chapter here this morning. And if you want, feel free just to look up on the screen when I read the verses. They will be there for you. Well, um, I am... Excited to undertake a modest, modest task today. My goal and my prayer is to change the way you see in the next half hour, all right? That's, that's why I'm here today, all right? Just to put my cards on the table. I want to help change the way you see. And guess what? I'm not playing. All right? Now, now, now here, here's why, all right? Uh, over this summer, um, for those of you that are new, uh, our church was super gracious, something we want to do for all of our full-time staff, uh, but our church gave me an 11-week break. It's called a sabbatical, a time of rest, a time of refreshment. And so uh, from the end of May to mid-August, uh, I was away with my family, and my number one priority on my 11-week break sabbatical was to get fresh vision. And that fresh vision, don't be disappointed, was not for Redemption Hill Church. The priority of my life over those 11 weeks was to get a fresh vision of God. And by the way, from this time forth and forevermore, this is what you should pray for every pastor. Because we will have no vision for our church, no vision for our lives, if we not first have a vision of God. And this fresh pursuit, day by day, what I found and what I'm so thankful for, and just if you'll let me testify for a few moments here this morning, is that as I was pursuing God day by day, having a little extra bandwidth, yes, to spend time with God morning by morning and getting away on a spiritual retreat for five days in the mountains of Vermont and uh, another to end uh, my time. Uh, but, but what was happening is that God was enlarging my desire to see him all the time. To see God all the time, everywhere, every day. And I don't know if this idea sounds like foreign to you, crazy. Oh, that's nice for you, pastor. You got 11 weeks to kind of do this spiritual thing with God and your family. Um, well, this is also my greatest, one of my greatest dreams for you. 
one of my greatest prayers for you is that you would see God everywhere, every day. But what we learn as we understand who he is and who we are is that we have to fight for it. We have to fight for vision every single day. And so I want to help us today from Isaiah 6. Learn what it looks like to fight for a fresh vision of God. And so if you would... Read the first four verses along with me as I read them for us. Just listen as I read them for us. It says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood The seraphim, his angels, all right? Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. What we have here in Isaiah 6 is a pivotal moment in Isaiah's life. Isaiah was a prophet of God. He was a spokesperson for God. Wherever he went, he was representing God. And his assignment was to communicate what God had communicated to him. But in this moment, this is a, this is a crossroads moment for Isaiah. This is a call moment for Isaiah where God is first and foremost giving him a fresh vision of who he is. This is what it says in the very first verse. In the year that King Uzziah died, a good king in Israel, not many of the kings were good kings, as John told us a couple of weeks ago, but Uzziah was, was not a bad king at all, but he uh, led and ruled in a time that was very bad in Israel, where people had turned away from God. And so that year that, that Uzziah died, Isaiah sees the Lord. He sees, them, he sees them high and lifted up, the king on his throne. And I just want to say, and I hope you'll take this to heart today, that our vision of God is everything. Our vision of God is everything. This is where everything starts, and this is where everything must stay. How we see God, who he is. And we could focus some time on what the angels are doing as they're flying around in verse 2, or the power of their voice making that, just angels, I don't think, let alone God, but just the angels' voices causing the whole temple in this vision to shake. But what I want us to do is spend our time focusing in on verse 3. Because verse 3 gives 
the summary of what's going on because the angels in light of who they see of God are then declaring it with their voices continually, just continually. That's why I don't mind singing the same chorus of a song a few times at the end of a song, all right? Because we just can't say it enough if it's true. We can't sing it enough. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Now, what you need to understand about the Hebrew language is this. When they wanted to emphasize something, they would repeat it. It's like me saying, my wife is beautiful, beautiful. You, you feel me, right? You can laugh at that. It's not funny. It's true. But, you know, it's like, so, so the, 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 we see Jesus saying this, like, grab people's attention to the gospel. Truly, truly, I say, like, listen up. This is true. And so for these angels to call out, holy, 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 it's, it's, just, it's a grabbing Isaiah's attention. He's arrested. He's captivated on the holiness of God. The holiness of God is how he is completely set apart from everything else in existence. God is the creator. Everything else is created. There is no one like God. He has no competitors or rivals. He alone is holy. He alone is set apart. He alone is the one who is high and lifted up. Everything else falls under him. And yet, as we read verse 3, and the angels are crying out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of, we would think they would say what? His, his holiness, right. We would think they would say his holiness. I mean, repeating, 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 holy, 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 holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. What is the glory of God? I think a good definition of the glory of God is that the glory of God is the display of his infinite worth. The glory of God is the display of his infinite worth. It is, it is his holiness being made known, going public for people to see. You see, God, we talked about this a little bit last week. God is intrinsically glorious. He's just glorious in who he is. If the angels didn't acknowledge it or anyone else, God would still be glorious because that is who God is. But as this infinite worth is being made known and shining through all that he does, that is the glory of God being revealed to us. And what I find so spellbounding, uh, binding about uh, verse 3 here is that it says what? The angels are saying the whole earth is full. Did you catch that? The whole earth is full of his glory. And so I just have to bring you into my Christian walk and experience, okay? Uh, for so long, I think I heard the words of Habakkuk 2.14 where it says that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And that is absolutely true. So let me explain that. There is a day coming. 
when Jesus returns. And his glory will be made known in an unfiltered, comprehensive sense. And his kingdom will come in fullness and it will be displayed forever. That day is coming. And the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. And yet, that doesn't negate the fact that what verse 3 says right here is true. The whole earth is full like right now. Today. And the crazy thing about God and how he relates to us is that he actually wants us to see his glory every single day. And so how, how does this happen? How can we see that if, if the whole earth is full of his glory, then how can we, because we need it, we just come back to it like, we need to fight for this. We need to fight to see how glorious God is. Why is that? It's because of this. There is seeing, and then there is seeing. You can see without seeing. Just as, just as God has given us physical eyes, um, and this came to life for me when I was 23 years old because I had, you know, been through uh, high school and college, and I don't know where, when my eyes started to, you know, uh, the, 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 the clarity and the, and the perfection of my 2020 vision started to deteriorate a little bit, but I can remember being um, in, in college and going to sporting events, and my sister would say, like, you can't read that over there. I was like, no, but I didn't think anything of it. You know, I was like, well, I can see. Everybody thinks they can see great, right, until you get an eye test. So when I was 23 years old, I went to the optometrist, and she said, yeah, you need, you need glasses, you need contacts. And so she hooked me up with, with a pair, and I walked out, and it was like I was in a different world. Who's had this experience before, right? Just crazy. I mean, it's like I told this lady, like, hey, if God didn't call me to be a pastor, I want to be an optometrist because this is amazing, like the difference that you get to make in people's lives, but here's the spiritual reality, okay? Just as God has given us physical vision, he has also given us spiritual vision. And this spiritual vision varies in degrees of health. And my assumption is this morning is that you have come in here. And don't feel bad about yourself, okay? Just, just be thankful that I'm here to help us see this, all right? And, and, I, and I know how true this is in my own life. That's why I just keep praying, God, help me see you. Help me see you better because here's the thing. We, we all come in, and what do we think? Oh, I got that 2020, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're talking about spiritual vision. I can, you, 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 I don't need to read the chart, you know? I got that 20, maybe 2015 on a good, you know? But maybe, just maybe, it's 2030, 2040, 2050. The whole Christian life is about learning to see. I love what Augustine said. He said that our whole business is to restore to health the eye of the heart whereby God may be seen. That's our job. That's our pursuit, to restore to health the eye of the heart so that we can see God. And here's another lesson that we need to understand, and we see this in Isaiah, 
is that there are certain things that we can do. This is why it's a fight, right? We have to fight for it day by day. There are certain things that actually that we are doing all the time that either hinder our vision or help our vision. We hinder our vision when we replace anything in the rightful place of God in our attention, in our affection, in our love, what we're chasing after, what we elevate above. If we elevate anything above him, replace him with anything, that is called idolatry. And fundamentally, idolatry is vision misplaced. That's what, that's what idolatry is. And what we find in the scriptures and what even Isaiah is going to show us in just a moment, this is so deep. I don't, I don't want you to miss this today, okay? What we find is that when, when our vision is misplaced, it does more to us than we can begin to even understand or know. In Psalm 115, the psalmist writes, he starts the psalm with a great verse. You might want to know it and memorize it. He says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, not to us, but to your name be the glory. That's a great life verse. But then he goes on in verse 3, and he says, hey, our, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. But then in verse 4, he starts saying this. He says, their idols are the work of human hands. These idols, they have eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear. Hands, but they cannot feel. Feet, and they cannot move. Noses, but they cannot smell. Mouths, and they cannot speak. And then he says this in verse 8. Those who make them become like them. So do all, all who trust in them. We start loving a person more than God. We start elevating our work and accomplishments more than God. We start caring more about the bottom line and bank accounts and more than God. And then all of a sudden, what happens is that our vision gets clouded and we don't hear as well spiritually and we don't have the same kind of heart feeling before God that we once did. But here's some encouragement. Just as our vision can be hindered through idolatry, so our vision can be helped by worship. By seeing who he is. By seeing how infinitely worthy and valuable he is. By saying, God, there is no one like you. There is nothing above you in my life. You are first. You are first forever. You are first every day. I'm pursuing you first. I'm going to give you the best of my time. I'm going to give you the best of my love. My, my de first desire in life, if anything is competing with it and comes into the way of me worshiping you, God, it has to go. God first. What, what else is worship but a fixing of our eyes on him and then responding to what we see? That's worship. I mean, all sight, all spiritual sight, check this out, has to do with God revealing who he is so that we see. Our seeing depends on his revealing, okay? 
And it's like we, we wouldn't know who he is unless he came, unless he spoke. We wouldn't know who Jesus is in the way of salvation unless Jesus, Jesus came to us. And now we have these truths recorded for us in Scripture and the testimony of the generations of followers of Christ are making him known. So it's, it's when we, we see who he is that we respond to who he is. That's what worship is. It's valuing God and proclaiming how good and great he is. And when we do, guess what happens? Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 3. And we all with unveiled face, there's no veil, we see now, we see who he is. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. This teaches us the valuable truth. We are what we behold. We are what we behold. Worship anything but God and it will shrivel your soul. You are what you behold. Worship an idol, you're going to become like them. Worship Jesus, you're going to become like him. We are what we behold. And this is, this is what's happening in Isaiah chapter 6. If we go down and we, we read this, um, in verse 9 it says, And he said, Go say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. What's that? Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And Isaiah is like, wow, what's up with that? How long, O Lord? And God says, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. And so what, what, I, what God says to Isaiah is like, you're going to go tell people what I want you to tell them, and they're not going to listen. And they're not listening is going to take them into a further place of spiritual blindness and deafness. And we know this is the condition of the people, because if we were to read the first six chapters, or first five chapters of Isaiah, we see things like this that, that are saying about the people. Their land is filled with what? Two eight idols. Chapter two, verse eight. Their land is filled with idols. Then in chapter two, verse eleven, it says their hearts were characterized by lofty pride. Chapter three, verse eight. They defied God's glorious presence. These are supposed to be His people, like the church, like the Old Testament, like people that hey, we belong to God. We're defying his glorious presence. Then it says that they, in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 20, they called evil good and good evil. Do you see what's happened here? They've become what they worship. Their ears are dull. Their, their, their eyes are, are clouded. Their hearts are heavy without understanding. But as we see God, he changes us into the same And as we worship him, 
And as we keep singing songs of of truth, not just on Sunday, but waking up on Monday morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning, and oh, don't forget about that middle of the day and the afternoon and the night, all right? We just keep worshiping God. We just keep coming to who he is, and we get more light, because in his light we see light. Psalm 36, verse 9. And we just keep worshiping our way. We worship our way into a greater vision. We worship our way into such a relationship with God. This is so amazing that that we are seeing him everywhere all the time. It's amazing. So, Pastor Tana, that sounds great. Glad you're fired up. We kind of expect you to be fired up after your 11 weeks off, you know. You'd be disappointed if you weren't. But help me out. Like, help me out. Like, practically, practically. So I want, to, I want to try to do that, all right? Put some practical handles. That this is, again, this is the prayer, right? That your moment-by-moment relationship with God receives a major dose of life day by day. Because what is, what is the logic of verse 3? Let me just ask you, what is the logic of verse 3? If the whole earth is full of the glory of God, then fundamentally, it should be as simple as opening our eyes. If we have eyes to see. And so where do we see the glory of God? Let me just give you a few helps. Because what is the glory of God? It's the, it's the shining forth of who he is. How, how, do we, how do we see that he's glorious? Well, we open our eyes and we see who God is in creation. I loved having time. I'd never been to Vermont or the mountains of Vermont, but to, to go to Vermont and then take my family up into the White Mountains of New Hampshire, and then we spent a week with some friends in Colorado. I mean, if you've ever been to Colorado in the summer, there's just majestic beauty all around. It's, it's, it's obviously the middle of the summer, and yet the tops of the mountains are snow-capped, and they are just beautiful. Like, open your eyes. You're seeing beauty, and if you have eyes to see it, you're seeing what? You're seeing glory the revelation of who he is. We were hanging out with some friends last night, and, and, and one of the, the little boys said, look up at the sky. Psalm 19, verse 1 says, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. Day after day, they're pouring forth speech. They're just saying, God is glorious. And when we have eyes to see, I mean, I just like, this it might sound like, oh, it's like an overstatement, and we're just trying to get me to buy in. Okay, I'm just telling you, it's the way that it is, all right? When we have eyes to see, every blade of grass, every grain of sand, every flake of snow. Sorry, I did that to you today in September, all right? But just like, you know, like every, every flake, glory. God is glorious. God is the creator. God is the artist. God is the beautiful one. And then we think about the pinnacle of God's creation, which is not trees and skies and seas, but it is what? What's the pinnacle of God's creation? Let's do a little theology here. Genesis 1. You. People. Right? That we are, we are the only ones that, that are made in the image of God. And so, yeah, we all got our issues, and we don't always display the glory of God because of our sinfulness and our fallenness, and yet, we do reflect his glory. 
Watch the joy of a child. Watch, I mean, just one of my favorite things from the summer, I was telling Dan, we met a couple weeks ago, and one of the things I just love seeing is, is my children just running in an open field. That's how God made us. That's what he wants for you. He wants you to be free like that. We talked about this last week. Let's not forget. Like, when you're just in a conversation and you're like fully bought in, you're attentive, you're not like messing with your phone. And, but just that's a reflection. That shows forth like how God made us for a relationship. Did you know that? Like, we just sing about it. It's so cool because I was doing my devotions this morning and I was thinking about not just how I was going to talk about us looking up to God, but how God is looking down at us like all the time. The eye of the Lord is on the rice. I started studying it this morning in my time. The eye of the Lord is on the rice. The eye of the Lord is on who, those who fear him. His eye is on us. It's that kind of locked-in attentiveness that, that when we have a meaningful conversation with a friend or a spouse or whatever, that there's a reflection there of the glory of God. Every good thing we do, when we do it for him, we saw last week in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. God made us to be glory distributors. As we walk in his light, we are shining him forth in everything. And so this is how we see. This is how we can start. Do you see this? How this works now? The whole earth is full of the glory of God. In creation, in, in his created people. What about in events? Like, let's take it a little deeper. What, what about events? Did you know that God is the God of celebration? Have you ever seen someone just enjoying life? That is a gift from God. That's who he is. Heaven celebrates. There's a lot of celebration going on in heaven, like right now. God is the God of celebration. He is the God of the dance. He is the God of the feast. Let's, let's, we talked about eating last week, and then Matthias invited me out for lunch, and we have family plans. But Matthias, thank you for inviting me to the fe feast. Thank you. Because God is the God of the feast, right? We see his glory when we get together with friends and enjoy a good meal. He's the God of victory. He's the God of song. He's the true artist, the true teacher, the true physician, and the true engineer. And I understand. I understand that the glory that we see may be glimpses of the glory of God, but it is glory all the same. So this is what Thomas Merton meant when he said this. Life is simple. We are living in a world that is absolutely transparent. And God is shining through it all the time. By reading the scriptures, and this is where we, we the light of God shining through scriptures, renewing us, changing us. By reading the scriptures, I am so renewed that means that he's getting his vision clarified once again just by, that's what happens when we spend time in the light of God, the presence of God. That's what should be happening this morning, by the way. He says, I'm so renewed that all nature seems renewed around me and with me. The sky seems to be a pure, a cooler blue. The trees a deeper green. The whole world is charged with the glory of God. And so we 
when we see that beauty in creation, it is a transparent beauty that is meant to push us back to the beautiful one, the creator God, who gave it to us in the first place. Every good deed, every good thing that we do or enjoy in life is is to be transparent. We see through it all so that we see to who he is and bring glory to his name. And so let me ask you two questions here. What if you started seeing God everywhere? This is a serious question. What, what if you started seeing God everywhere? Here's the second question. What would it do to your soul? How would it change your life if you started seeing God like this? When we get a fresh vision of God, it will activate us for the mission of God. When we fight for a fresh vision of God, then it begins to activate us into the mission of God. And I think we see this in three ways in Isaiah chapter 6. Let's start back in verse 5. This is Isaiah's response. Once he sees the glory of God revealed, this is what he says. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for and I heard a voice, the, the voice of the Lord, God himself speaking, saying what? Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Three broad strokes, three broad strokes for what we see in terms of a response of a vision of God to be activated into the mission of God. Number one, we see what? Humility. Isaiah is humbled. Isaiah catches this fresh revelation of the definitive holiness of God and the glory of God. And his, the first word out of his mouth is woe. And that's not like W-H-O-A, like woe. Okay, that's W-O-E, woe. Woe is me. When, when there was a woe pronounced on someone or you call a woe down on yourself, what you were saying is, I do not deserve to even see this or live. God is that majestic and glorious. When we see him for who he is, like, like for, for all of us who are fighting different areas of sin in our life, no matter, like, just fill in the blank, we all struggle with sin, right? What is going to move us out of that fight into a better place? It's going to be a vision of God because when we see him rightly, we see ourselves rightly. And it drives us to our knees. And we say, God, you are glorious. I am not. You are holy. I am not. But we don't don't stay there. We say, God, change me. Make me like you. 
I'm not, I'm not clean, and the people around me are not clean, but God, make me clean. Change me. And so first and foremost, there's a, there's a humility that comes when we see who God is. But then after we're humbled, we're also captivated. And you say, well, Tina, I don't see that explicitly in the text. I don't really either. But I think it's implicit throughout. And let me try to make an argument here, okay? When we hear there is a vision of God sitting on a throne. I mean, we can just stop right there. Like, if that doesn't, like, emotionally do something to your heart and cognitively, like, get your attention, there's probably something. It's just a reflection of how broken we are. Just keeping it real here today. But, but, but even, like, not beyond just, he's sitting on a throne, and the train of his robe is so large that it fills the whole stinking temple. And if that was enough, there are angels flying all around God. And God is so holy that these angelic beings cannot even look at him. They have to cover their eyes. God is too holy for them to even see. And they cover their feet and they're, and they're just shouting out, holy, holy, holy. Are you stunned yet? Holy, holy, holy. Are you captivated yet? The whole earth is full of his glory. Just by the angels' voices, the whole place is shaking. There there has to be an element here of absolute shock to Isaiah's heart and mind and eyes. And yet something so breathtaking, something so captivating, something so enthralling, something so thrilling that he can never get it out of his mind. He can never unsee what his eyes saw in that moment. That's how glorious God is. That's how amazing God is. There's no one like you, God. There's no one more worthy or glorious than you, God, and I am absolutely locked in, captivated by who he is. And this takes us deeper into the truth, okay? I hope you're ready for this. This takes us deeper into the truth that God does not reveal his glory just so we can simply see it and know it, but he reveals his glory so that we would be enthralled and delighted in what we see. So another way to put it is this, is that God did not just make you to glorify him and be a glorious distributor and say there's nothing better than God and God is great and that just kind of puts everything on God and that leaves us like nowhere. But he made us to see his glory and reflect his glory so that as we do that and as we see it, we would be so moved and delighted by it that we would be the most joyful people full of life in the world. The chief end of man, why we're here, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Enjoy him. 
And so you can see why I'm a little excited here today about trying to help you see that you can see God's glory every single moment. Because if you start seeing the glory of God in the day-to-day, everywhere, it is going to do something so deeply transformative to your relationship with God that you will not be the same person. There's an infusion of adventure and delight into the everyday so that when Thomas Merton says, and I love that, the whole world is charged with the glory of God. Do you know what he says at the end of that sentence? And I feel the fire and music under my feet. Wow. This is what God made you for to see who he is, and so enjoy who he is that it changes every step of your life. It's too good. The gospel is just way too good. And so we... We learn. I love this. Just one more thing about this. All right, I don't want to miss this. This is, this, this is decent information too, all right? Um, so, so, so what happens in a relationship? A, a deep relationship. Again, we talked about last week, and this last week's was important because thinking about groups as we get into group season and relating to one another, welcoming one another, and, and, and putting one another above ourselves, is that in a relationship, there is an openness to one another, right? So there's a vulnerability of heart. We're trusting one another. We're, we're loving. We're pouring out and we're receiving. And, 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 and then not only an openness, but an attentiveness. We talked about that just a moment ago. But then there's another element, and that is the element of curiosity. And, and here's what I mean, just to be very practical, right? It, your relationships will not go very far if you think you know everything about that person. And there's not a delight to like keep pressing in and keep learning more and to see what tomorrow holds and the next day holds in this relationship together. And I'm just trying to stand here today and tell you that's what God wants for you in your relationship with him. That kind of captivation, a captivation that makes us curious and saying, God, you are so amazing. You are so infinitely glorious. You are so infinitely creative in who you are and how you do what you do that tomorrow is a new adventure again. I can't wait to see, God, how you're going to move me out, how you're going to help me to love people in your name, what you're going to show me today. And so God humbles us and he captivates us. And then, of course, he sends us out. That's, that's verse 8. God shows up to Isaiah, and he shows up with a purpose, not just for him to see who he is, but to see who he is and respond so that he then carries his glory and this knowledge of how delightful it is to know God. So that he'll take that, and he'll invite other people into the same reality. Verse 8 of Isaiah 6, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Humility says, God, you are glorious and I am not. Captivation says, God, you are glorious and I am in awe. 
But being sent says, God, you are glorious and I am going. I'm going to go to those people. I'm going to step out again in my workplace tomorrow and I'm going to represent you again because you are so good and so great and so glorious that I want my coworkers and my neighbors and the people around me to have the same joy in life that I have in you. This is, what, this, this is the activation piece. This is, this is how when we see who he is, he moves us out and he animates us to be about his business. And what I love here about Isaiah's reality is that this was not an easy, this would not have been an easy sell. Right, because we just read verses 9 through 13. It's like, hey, you're going to go talk to these people and they're not going to listen to you, Isaiah. I mean, I mean, I just I can't wrap my mind around, like, back in, like, 2006, 7, 8, and 9, before 2010 came, when we were planning to move to Boston to start a new church, if God would have said, hey, you're going there, but no one's going to listen to you. But Isaiah's yes is already on the table. Because God is so good and glorious that whatever he says, we're like, we're already there. When we see the glory of God, it moves us out in such an amazing way. This is probably one of, maybe my favorite sentence outside of the Bible. is by a pastor in the 17th century when he said this, glory renders us intensely zealous. Thomas Watson said this in a book, Heaven Taken by Storm. He says, glory renders us intensely zealous. In other words, when you see how glorious God is, it will move you in a whole new way to live your life in the pursuit of knowing more and more of his glory, delighting in more and more of his glory, and making more and more of his glory known. And so I hope, I hope today, You'll put a stake in the ground, maybe for the first time, maybe again, and just say, God, help me to see as you see. God, help me to fight for vision, to see you so that I can worship you and, and enjoy the life that you made me for, and then so that I can invite others into this same magnificent story. So what I want to do is I want to invite the band to come up, and they're going to lead us in a time of response. But as they come up, I just want to lead us into a time of prayer. So if you would, just bow your head and close your eyes just for a few moments because, because here's the deal. This is, this is just what can happen on a Sunday morning worship experience, right? We come in, we hear, we sing. But sometimes in even all of that, we don't decide. We don't decide. We don't we don't move out. And so I just want to lead us in a time of prayer. And whatever it is, maybe you just need to say, God, help me to worship my way into a better vision of you. Perhaps you're saying, God, I see that you made me for yourself, and I've never truly lived for your glory. I want that to start today. Perhaps that's you this morning. Maybe you're saying, God, I've been humbled. I, I see how unclean I am in light of how amazing and clean you are. And so, God, forgive me. Change me. Whatever it is, if you would just talk to God even now.
as I lead us in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are a God who shows up and reveals who you are. And so, God, would you help us to see you? Help us to fight for vision. Help us to, to know that you want to move us into new places. Take us, take us deeper in our relationship with you. God, humble us. Captivate us. Move us out with such a delight and enjoyment that we feel the fire and music under our feet. Wow. You're an amazing God. We're so humbled that you would invite us into your story. The story that you've made a way through the life, life and death of your son, his resurrection. So God, we look to you today. We look up even now as we continue in worship. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to have a time of reflecting on the death of Christ together. So our Connections team is going to come down and serve us the Lord's Supper. And Pastor Reddy and myself, my wife Marcia, are also going to be down front to pray with you. If there's anything that you need prayer for today, that's maybe just burning in your heart to say, uh, just would you, would you join me in praying about this? Maybe today you would say, you know what? I never knew. I never knew that God made me to, to worship him and to glorify him and how I've exchanged glorifying him for worshiping something else. And I want to make that right today. I want to receive the gift of Jesus and what he offers me in his salvation. And so if that's you, you can even share that with us and we'll pray for you in this, you begin this new journey. And so no matter what the decision is or what the prayer point is, we want to encourage you, we want to pray for you. And if you know Christ, then come down and partake of this remembrance meal where we remember that Jesus' body was broken for us. Jesus' blood was spilled for us that we might have life and that we might see as God sees. And so if the Connections team would come on down, we're just going to pray one more time. And then you can rise to your feet. You can sing. You can pray. You can respond as God leads. God, thank you that we can have this moment to remember your death on our behalf. God, thank you for the life that you've given us in Christ. So Lord, we pray that even now as we respond to you and as we pour out our hearts to you in praise and in prayer and in partaking of the grace of the Lord's Supper, that it would strengthen us and it would encourage us to live for you day by day. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.